last couple weeks of Advent, we've been still in the book of 1 Thessalonians, and certainly there's a lot of uh, connections to the birth of Christ, uh, but we're going to look specifically at the narrative given in the Gospel of Luke. Well, I think most people know that Christmas celebrates a Savior. You could go to pretty much any country where Christ is known and say, what is Christmas about? And people would say, it's about the birth of Jesus Christ. But what kind of a Savior? What kind of a Savior is he? Uh, you know, there's a, um, a lot of questions surrounding the, the birth uh, of Jesus. There's a lot of questions about what kind of person he was. Uh, there's a lot of sort of explanations of Jesus that sort of make him into a, a modern guru or something like that. But I want us to look at the witness of two old folks, <laughs> two, uh, two senior citizens. They've, they've long gone to be with the Lord. Two gray heads, uh, like Bob Graham. Um, but I want to look at two from the scripture here. Um, now, old age, of course, is not always a sign of wisdom. Uh, you can be old and foolish. And there are people who are like that way. You get stuck in your ways and you want to just maintain the past in the present. But, especially when someone is walking with the Lord for a long time and they accrue years of life and experience, hopefully, as time goes by, they grow wise. And I think we have a lot of people like that, by the way, at First Baptist Church who have grown wise in their old age. We're going to look at Simeon and Anna. Um, uh, those are the real pictures of Simeon and Anna. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have their, that's a lot too long ago. But I'd imagine that's somewhat what they might look like if we had to guess. Um, Simeon and Anna, this is actually shortly after the birth of Christ. Jesus is presented in the temple, and they describe Jesus as the one that the world has been waiting for. The one that the world has been waiting for. Look with me at Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at 22. Through 39. Luke 22, 30, all the way to verse 38, excuse me, 38. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, meaning Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, 
so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, in the outline, I'm going to kind of shift things around a little bit. But first we see that Jesus is the sacrifice for our redemption. Jesus is the sacrifice for our redemption. And I'm going to look at the beginning and then the end of this section. So we're going to look at Anna as well, tacked on to the beginning of this section. But we see that Mary and Joseph go up to the temple with Jesus. And we're told why. So remember, they're staying in Bethlehem. This is only eight days after his birth. Staying in Bethlehem, which is only a few miles from the big city of Jerusalem. And they go there specifically for purification. Uh, Obedience to the law, the, the Torah, which is the rule, the guide, the revelation of God. So it's a good thing. And they're unclean. When you have a child, you become unclean, according to the law. Not sinful but unclean, nevertheless. And Leviticus says you have to offer a sacrifice. So as they go up there, they're going to present the child to the Lord. This is his circumcision. Jesus is circumcised, as every Jewish male would have been. And you're allowed, you're supposed to offer a sacrifice. Typically, that sacrifice is to be a lamb. That's what you offer for this particular sacrifice, unless you're poor. Isn't that interesting? The Bible actually gives you sort of a, a, a two-tiered thing. If you don't have the money to sacrifice a lamb, you can sacrifice, as we see here, two birds instead, which is evidence here that Joseph and Mary were not wealthy. Uh, they were poor, and they're therefore offering the birds instead. All right, skip now to the end. We get Anna. Uh, and notice how Luke always does this. The Bible does this often, balances male and female. You have old man Simeon. You have old woman Anna. So just like you had uh, the, uh, the, the whole prayer earlier in, of Zechariah, you get the prayer of Mary. There's that balance between the two. Well, here we get to Anna, and she's described as old, uh, 84 years old, which, you know, is not that that old, I guess some here would say, but uh, not young for sure. Um, she is described as faithful, and she spends all of her time in the temple worshiping, praying, and fasting. Every day, since she's been a widow, and she was only married for seven years. So for a long time, she basically lives in the temple, probably literally lives close by, but is daily in the temple, regularly worshiping and praying and fasting. And when Jesus is brought in to be circumcised, she comes into the temple, gives thanks to God specifically for him, speaks of him to all the people there, and he is described as the one who is, all those who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. To redeem is to buy back. When, you, when something has been purchased away from you, you can get it back. You can redeem it. You can buy it back. And so Jerusalem and Israel and really the nations have been taken away from God because of sin. And here's Jesus, the Savior, as an eight-year-old child, and she's saying, here is the redemption of Israel we've been waiting for, the one who will buy us back to God. But notice the connection here then with Jesus and the law. This is important. Jesus was Jewish. 
<laughs> and hopefully that doesn't come as a surprise to anyone here, but honestly, throughout church history, that's been a some strangely debatable issue. Um, Jesus didn't just appear Jewish. He didn't just seem like he was Jewish. He was Jewish. He was Jewish ethnically. Um, he was born of a virgin, Mary, who was fully 100% Jewish, um, and was raised by her, his father and mother. Actually, Joseph is described here as his father, even though, of course, God is his father in this miraculous way. Joseph is his earthly father, and he is Jewish ceremonially. He obeys the law, even circumcision and the purification and the sacrifices. However, it's more than that. He fulfills the law. So yes, he is the one who came, didn't break a single command in his entire life. You say, well, I thought Jesus did break some of the commands. Didn't he do that? No, he broke the fence laws, the extra traditions, the, the additions that you would put on the law. That's, that's what he would regularly break. But even things like circumcision, which are commanded in the law, he obeys them. Why? Because he is going to be the fulfillment of the sacrificial system. Every lamb that was offered, every dove, every pigeon, all of it pointed to the sacrifice that Christ would offer on the cross. He's the one who makes us clean. He's the one who purifies us. Isn't it ironic? They're, they're taking Jesus for purification, and he's the one that all this sacrificial system was pointing to. He's our redemption. Full payment made by God to buy us back. Jesus, both God and man, is the one who redeems us. Before we move on, the world needs redemption, friends. I think that's the assumption here. That's why we need Jesus, because we need redemption. I think we know that. It's kind of ingrained in us, actually. We know that, that, that crime deserves punishment. That when we do something wrong, there needs to be some type of payment for it. Uh, that there should be some type of retribution for the sin in our lives. There needs to be justice. And we know that our temporary courts of justice don't always get it right. right? I mean, people, sometimes the innocent are declared guilty. Sometimes the guilty are declared innocent. Sometimes the justice system is biased towards one group or another. That there needs some type of ultimate standard and judgment. And there is. It's in God. And we're under that judgment. And therefore, we need a sacrifice. And can one die for another? I mean, we say, well, okay, well, I have to pay for my sin with my own death. But can another take that? And that idea of one dying for another, that theme of redemption is everywhere. We see it in stories all the time. People try to self-redeem. I can redeem my sin by living righteously or doing, devoting myself to love or something like that. But it never seems to be enough. You can't erase what's already happened. For that, we need one who fully obeys the law in every jot and tittle, makes no mistake, and then dies in our behalf. Now, the world is broken. That's the assumption. It's broken beyond repair. And it needs an outsider. It needs God with us. Not, not a few slight adjustments. <laughs> it needs redemption to be bought back. Friends, look to Jesus then as the sacrifice for your sins. Not just a friend, although he is that, our redeemer. As Simeon finally enters the temple, we see that in verse 25, Jesus is blessed as a light, as a light to all nations. 
Old man Simeon is described as righteous and devout, very similar to Anna, both of them. Uh, They were not a couple, married or anything like that, but they may have known each other. But nevertheless, both of them serving the Lord, loving the Lord, seniors in the Lord. And it's revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he won't die until he sees the Christ. What What a revelation that is. Actually, one thing to notice about Simeon is his relationship to the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's an old man, and yet the Holy Spirit leads him to do everything. He's, he's completely saturated by the Spirit. It's described as uh, the Holy Spirit is on him. Uh, he is, uh, the Holy Spirit reveals something specific to him that he won't die until he sees Christ. And the reason why he goes into the temple at this very moment is it says the Spirit led him into there, was on him and guiding him in there. Here's a guy who is who, how old, I don't know, in his 90s, let's say, and being led by the Holy Spirit. He takes Jesus in his arms and stares and somehow, again, the Holy Spirit is revealing it, knows that this is the one. This is what you've been waiting for. And he begins to pray. And he prays what's sometimes called the nunc dimittis in the Latin. Uh, Now let your servant depart. Basically what it means. Now he departs. And his prayer is, now I can die. My eyes have seen your salvation. This is all I wanted in my entire life of whatever many years is to have my physical waking eyes look upon salvation. He describes Jesus as prepared in the presence of all peoples. So here's Simeon. He has an insight about who Jesus is. He's not just for Israel. He's for the Gentiles as well. A light to all the people, and yes, to Israel as well. Imagine that. And just picture this in your mind. He's looking at an eight-day-old baby. By the way, Jesus probably looked no different than any other baby. It wasn't that like a light shone around him, and so Simeon knew that this was the Messiah. It was just revealed to him, I think, by the Holy Spirit, and he knew. And he sees this helpless infant and says, not only is he the light for Israel that we have been waiting for, but for the world and all generations to come. Interesting, he calls him the light. The light. Uh, light is, a, is an interesting thing. I've talked about this before, but it's sometimes helpful. Uh, for those who are, are sort of have a physics background, uh, light is sort of a mysterious thing in this world anyway. It's the fastest thing in the universe that we know of anyway. Uh, it's a particle and a wave. I thought this was interesting just as an illustration. And maybe you guys who know more about this, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a particle, meaning it's made out of like physical stuff. <laughs> very, very small, but, but stuff, matter, right? But it's a wave, meaning it's, it's a pulse, it's invisible, it's like radio or Wi-Fi. Here's Jesus, fully God, fully man, entering into our world. He's the light. Uh, Christmas is, is often associated with light. You ever notice that? We have Advent candles. We have the, the star that the Magi follow. We have the glory that shines for the, the shepherd. You have darkness and light comes into that. And of course, Hanukkah, which was yesterday, day before yesterday, it started. And what happens when the light comes in? The, the darkness is dispelled. Now, darkness doesn't have a substance. It's the absence of anything. And then light comes in and gets rid of darkness. And without light... We can't see. It gives clarity. It's the first thing that God creates. 
in this chaotic world. Let there be light. And life itself depends on light. Now, Israel itself was called to be that light to the nations. I think it's fair to say that they failed in that mission without Jesus. But Jesus, as the fulfillment of the promise of Israel, brings that light, the truth of God, to all the nations. Jesus is a light. Uh, He's a light not just to Israel, but to Israel, for sure. As he says here, Simeon says, to your people, there is a special place for Israel in the mission of God, which is why, one of the reasons why, we as a church are eager to support Jewish missions. We support chosen people ministries. Uh, the wonderful lady next to us is married to Mitch Foreman, who's the vice president of chosen people ministries here in the United States and I think in the UK. Um, and we would love to see the Jewish people come and meet their Messiah, the Lord Jesus, who Simeon, as an old Jewish man, held in his arms and said, He's the one. It's for all nations, not just America, but America for sure, right? We want to reach our community. We want to pray for our nation. Uh, Let's continue to ask for the Lord to bring about revival right here, and let's actively seek to share the good news. Let's stay on mission. Uh, If you're worried about the church and churches during this time, the best thing you can do is, number one, pray. And number two, keep sharing the gospel (laughs) because the church grows through the spread of the gospel as people come to know the Lord. But it's all nations, uh, the unreached people. I think it's kind of sad, actually, after 2,000 years, we haven't reached them yet. (laughs) I mean, the the world is big, but it's not that big. I mean, what is it going to take for us to finally reach all the nations? Let's get to it, friends. According to the Joshua Project, by the way, which is a great um, organization that kind of tracks these things, there are 17,441 people groups, different specific people groups in the world. And out of that, there are 7,414 unreached groups, which actually adds up to 42.5%, which means there's a lot of people unreached. And an unreached group doesn't mean... Um, people, specifically non-Christians, it means those who have no gospel witness there. There's no church. There's no missionaries. There's no one there sharing the gospel. Or thinking of it in the world population, there's 7.75 billion people. And in that, there are 3.23 billion who are unreached, which is 41.6% of the whole world. And yet here we are in the United States with the opportunity to send, to give, to pray, to go And see the light reach the nations. Friends, I I pray and we hope that maybe in our day, maybe, (laughs) we'll see the Christian faith available. Available everywhere. In every people group. Jesus is appointed as a suffering savior. 33 to 35. Simeon's message doesn't end with the nunc dimittis here. The the, now your servant can depart. He has a very specific word given to Mary and Joseph. And it shows something about the type of Savior Jesus is. First of all, when he goes up to them and holds the baby and says all this, they marvel, verse 33. Can you imagine? I mean, being the mom of Jesus, the dad of Jesus, and they were just human beings like you and me. 
And having a complete stranger walk up to you on the day of his circumcision, take the child in his hands and say, now I can die. (laughs) I've seen the Messiah. Now I can pass away. Must have been overwhelming. It says Simeon blesses them as well. So he doesn't bless Jesus because Jesus is the greater. He needs the blessing of this eight-day-old infant, but he blesses the parents here. And then he says specifically to Mary that this child is appointed for the rise and the fall of many. This child is going to be divisive. It's not going to be the Messiah that perhaps people are expecting. He's going to be the watershed. He's going to be the dividing line. There are going to be those who love him, and there are going to be those who hate him. There are going to be those who just can't get enough of hearing about Jesus and learning about him. And there are going to be those who the very name Jesus is going to make them angry. He describes Jesus as a sign, but one that is opposed. A sign usually helps clarify. It brings together. But here he's saying, no, this is a sign that, uh, that will be rejected, opposed. The religious leaders, the Romans, the crowds, and many, many unbelievers throughout all of history oppose Jesus. This is all towards an eight-day-old baby. And then these words to Mary specifically, and a sword will pierce your soul. Preparing for the cross. Some of the old theologians, I mentioned this in our last night for those who joined me, some of the old theologians would talk about what do you think this sword represents? And, and they got pretty, uh, you know, they like to see direct connections. And one I thought that was interesting, interesting was uh, that the sword is the sword that guards the entrance into the Garden of Eden. And well, maybe that sounds a little too, uh, you're reading too much into it. I just begin to think through that for a second. Let that sink in. What is the sword that guards the way to the Garden of Eden? It's the sword of judgment for our sin that doesn't allow us into the presence of God and doesn't allow us into paradise. It's the sword that pierces Mary because it's the cross. It's the wrath of God upon sin. And the sword will pierce your soul. How does Simeon know this? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it, it could be he's an old man, he's experienced, he knows Israel, he knows the religious leaders, he knows human nature, and he knows that this Messiah is going to come in, he's going to have to divide and shake things up, and it's not going to end well. Or is it something just revealed to him, uh, has a certain understanding of this, that this is going to end with his death? Right from the beginning, it's talked about. And he ends by saying, and the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. He'll bring out the truth. He'll bring out human nature. He'll bring out our guilt, our conviction of sin, and our need of repentance. Jesus is a different kind of Savior. I think that's what we can get from this. He's a very different kind of Savior. Uh, He is controversial. He's not like King David. He comes as a servant. He challenges the false teaching and beliefs of the establishment. He divides the people. He himself said, I come not to bring peace, but a sword. Sometimes even dividing own families in half by those who believe in me and those who don't. 
He comes as one who will suffer. He comes as one who's opposed. He's opposed socially. Uh, He's opposed theologically because he challenges the traditions of his day. And he's opposed by force as he's tortured and killed. He's one who's pierced. Ironic that Mary is pierced by this sword because Jesus himself on the crucifixion on the cru- on the cross was crucified and pierced. He's the Messiah that we need, even if he wasn't the one we were expecting. When we, when we think of greatness, true greatness, uh, a, you know, big greatness over history, we might think of the pharaohs. You know, you go to Egypt and you see the pyramids; those are just tombs of these men. You might think of the Khans, like Genghis Khan and his sons. The Caesars, like Julius or Augustus. Actually, in the ancient world, if you were to think of greatness, you would picture Alexander. That would come to your mind. He was, he was the, the epitome of cool and the epitome of power and greatness. He was, actually became a pharaoh himself, conquered most of the known world, was, would lead the way into battle, was basically worshipped by everyone. But Alexander, who died at 33, by the way, same age as Jesus, is long gone to history. And the Savior that we needed lives on. We follow the suffering Savior. Jesus' miraculous birth leads us to the cross. It doesn't end there. (laughs) So Easter follows, right? It, It ends with a resurrection. So it ends with a triumph. It ends with a victory. But it goes through the cross first. Friends, I hope in some ways, as we reflect on the type of Savior Jesus is, it would lead us to repentance. The thoughts of the hearts of many are revealed. We are sinners. It starts there. If somebody doesn't recognize their own sin, they'll never see the need of a Savior, and they'll never really understand who Jesus is. It starts there, and it continues there, by the way. The Christian life is one of regular, continual repentance as we recognize our own sin, and God begins to transform us. And keep in mind, if he suffered, his followers will suffer as well. Not only Mary is pierced because of her love of the Savior, but those who follow Jesus are pierced as well. But we do so with hope. Expect controversy. Uh, expect opposition, expect piercing pain at times, expect repentance. But it's all worth it. Because when we come to the end of this life, as our sister Chris did, as Bob Graham did this year, and as many others, we can say in our heart and our spirit, Lord, I can depart in peace. In peace. Because my spiritual eyes have seen the Savior. Jesus is what the world has been waiting for. Let's listen to our elders, right? Simeon and Anna, two senior citizens, waiting their whole lives for this moment that we just read about in Scripture, and then recorded throughout history to give us some wisdom for today. What kind of a Savior are we celebrating this Christmas? Hopefully we get this, even if we're only half their age, or quarter their age, or tenth their age, some of us, right? At the time, he is a sacrifice for our redemption, a light to the nations, and the suffering Savior.
which leads us to the resurrection. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, thank you so much for the, the faithful witness of these two old, old saints from long ago, Simeon and Anna, and what they understood about Jesus, even at his literally infantile stage, that this Savior would be controversial, opposed, cause the rise and the fall of many, and would suffer, but he would be the type of Savior that we need, one who would deal with our sin, and in doing so, be a light to all the nations, so that the hope of eternal life, not just a better life in this world, although that is true, to follow Christ is better than to not, but to deal with our greatest and most eternal need, our need of redemption from sin, to be bought back by you. Let this Christmas, Lord, be filled with gospel celebration as we look at not only his birth, but the cross and the resurrection, which is to come as the story continues. And in all this, Lord, may your name be praised through Jesus. Amen.